I got involved at Riv, uh, probably, I've been working here for like five or so years, but probably got involved as a high schooler, right out of high school, really. I've been at Riv Westside since it started. Previous to that, I had been born and raised in the church, and then I took a vacation for a few years, <laughs> kind of like 27, and then I came back to the church. Well, I became a Christ follower in 91, and I started, uh, I grew up in the Catholic church, and not being disparaging, but just wasn't really feeling it there. And so I had some friends who were going to Riv uh, back when they met at the Kellogg Center. I was born in 1930, so I'm 90 plus. There you go. (laughs) But I give thanks every time I sit down. I am blessed more than anybody. Yeah. I've been going to Riv for, I think, about 18 years, but uh, I live in a church. Yeah. And I'm glad the church lives in me. There you go. Awesome. I love that. Yeah. I was born in 2002. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so <laughs> I originally got into Riv when we moved here. And uh, sorry to just break your heart, but my mom made me go to chaos. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> made you go. Yeah. But I loved it. I started to love it. Uh, so after, <laughs> after a few weeks, I, like, I was like, Mom, can I go? Can I go? Please, can I go? I was raised Christian, but you don't really... You don't listen to your parents. You have to listen to someone else. So then that like brought me more to Christ. And I just learning more about grace and then giving grace really just, yeah. When I was a young kid, um, my dad was in the hospital for two years. He came out of the war and he had tuberculosis. And it was, my mother was the stay-at-home mom. She wasn't worried. It was a church that basically pulled us through. So the community aspect of church to me appears much different now than it used to be when I was younger. I mean, everything was the church, you know, the family, the friends, the support, the help. And how you do community is very different. Like you said, I mean, community was literally community. Now you can have community with well, and, you know, At families live more depth, in, so, in yeah. a group and, and closer. Why are you laughing, Dick? Are you laughing at me? You can't believe what it was like when I first had to go into church. Well, you aren't that much older than I am. <laughs> well, when I was going to church, I wore knickers. Oh, well, you are that much older. <laughs> well, I still wear shorts. But I see I that. My first pair of long pants when I was confirmed at 14. Wow. So... The, yeah. dress, the dress code is different in church. Oh, the dress code is definitely different. Because church everywhere, anybody went to church put on their best. Yep. And I can remember my parents saying it, that getting dressed up was a sign of showing respect sure. for God's house. Exactly. Yeah. It. Yeah. When I first came to Riverview, I saw Noel up there in shorts barefooted. Yeah. And I asked my son, I said, are you sure we'll want to go to church here? I think it's interesting you guys say that because... I, like, when I was little, we'd always dress up, like you said, and, like, look our nicest and best. And I had no idea what I heard. Mm -hmm. And then just going to, like, Riv, like, it it is less, like, I guess, dressy. But, like, I feel like I'm absorbing more and I'm listening and I'm like, wow, like, like, this is, this is Well, and I think you're right. What we would have considered dressed up back then or what I consider might be totally different for someone. What's important is your goal. Absolutely. Yep. I think what at the base of it all is like getting past that that piece. Right. I mean, there's time I take my hat off when I go to my grandparents. And sometimes when we're praying, I leave my hat on because there's sometimes I want students to know 
that God does not require that for your heart to be right. open for, to, for him to hear you. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's whose you are, yeah. you know, more than what you wear. So I think joining church groups or church people is a, a big plus. Mm-hmm. I'm, I, I like to go to a Bible study, not just to read the Bible, but just, just to interact, communicate yeah. more than anything yeah. else with them. Sure. Mm-hmm. You can't pick and choose. You can't do that. Yeah, but nobody said there was any rules. So. <laughs> you think it was you. Make yeah. them up as you go, man. <laughs> this continues down that same track, though. Did you have, um, did you have, or do you have a mentor or someone you looked up to? So when I first started coming to Riv, um, I was, gosh, I think it was 21 at that time. And uh, I connected with Paul Denherter, uh, one of the original pastors here. And Paul and I would get together and go to lunch. I mean, like hundreds of times we went to lunch. And Paul just spent time with me, yeah. you know, just tons and tons of time with me, which was just, it's really, it was so foundational for me, you know, so. I think that's huge. We yeah. live in such a fast-paced society and we aren't necessarily that great at setting priorities and that's what it takes to be able to to communicate especially the gospel times you need to have time with them mm-hmm. yeah. yeah you can't develop that relationship and hit them over the head of the bible right. you know tell me about your mentors huh huh <laughs> i would say one of them <laughs> I, don't, I don't know you might know no i'm just kidding TJ, and then... Oh, I was, didn't know if it was me, actually. Oh, I thought it was somebody else. Uh, <laughs> uh, I thought, yeah. No, stop. No, but no, mentorship-wise, like Emma, for sure, Um, she just always, she was there for me whenever I needed her, which now doing the same thing, I'm like, I don't know how she did it because, like, it's just the amount of time is crazy. Like, I remember texting her at, like, 1 a.m. and being like, Emma, oh, like, this happened. Like, I don't know, like, what to do. And she'd text me back. And I'm just like, what? Like, I didn't think someone could love me so much to reply. And in a timely fashion at 1 (laughs) a.m. And now, like, thinking, I'm like, I would so do the same for, like, the girls that are in my group, too. I'm like, oh, my gosh, if they texted me and they needed something, like, heck, yeah, like, let me, like, reply now. And so, like, I think that just, like, built so much. Like, I, I'm loved, so, like, let me outpour love to other people. And I don't know if I would be giving as much, like, grace and love and time and commitment to things if I wasn't given that. Mm. The amount of conversations we've had, you know, about commitment for this very reason. You know, if Paul took you out once, you wouldn't be talking about him. Right. Even yeah. three times. Right. And if he didn't call you into something— you know, maybe you would be, but it'd been a, it's a, there's a missional piece connected to the why we do the thing and why we look, you know, mentor and why, you know, we look to be mentored. And, you know, when we talked about leading is like this awesome thing, which has been a vision of what we do and handed down from Riv. Um, she talked about that. Yeah. Thanks for being leader, but it looks like you got a question there. Listen. What do you see as a unique challenge in this generation that you didn't have in your life? Yeah, let's skip that one. Yeah. <laughs> no, that sounds interesting. <laughs> Young people today, I, lo- I look and watch it even like when I talk to my grandson. I look, you have so many options. You have so many inputs. You have so, you know, how do you know 
what to choose and what to believe and and what to go with. I mean, unless you have someone yeah. mentoring you or guiding yeah. you, it's Which just... They say Generation Z is uh, endless information with virtually no mentors. You know, there's no dinner table anymore. Actually, people are getting rid of their dinner tables all the time because people don't eat at dinner tables anymore. Mm-hmm. There's just less and less of that. And so, although that's a unique challenge, I think that that's a, a unique opportunity too. Yeah. It's super easy as a person now that has two kids to invite other people to our house and say, hey, come eat mm-hmm. at the table, you know, or come eat and um, experience family, you know. I just think that if we would talk to each other more, we're more open and understanding. I think the olders are more open and understanding than the youngers hmm. think we are. And then maybe we're totally wrong about that. And we don't know because we don't talk to them about, you know, or, you know, I don't want to impose on the youngers and say, okay, this is the way it should be. I think be- the older you get, the more forgiving you are. Yeah, I agree. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. And Dick. That- You're right. Yeah. Cause you realize you've been a mess all over the place. And what's nice about a small group like this is, is you can be open and you can talk and we don't, we just, whether we're older or younger, we try and run around church looking like, we're all these wonderful things. I'm just a messy mortal out there just hanging out, you know. I don't know anybody in the church that's older than me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we're working on it. We're working on it. Sorry. It's always a blessing to me to be around people like you. Amen. Hello. I feel like I don't even need to preach. That was so good. Um. Well, good morning, everyone. I can unlock this thing. It's great to be with you all. Um, Let me just uh, say to you all, thank you so much for entrusting me to be one of your pastors. Uh, Today was a day that, honestly, I uh, would never have imagined uh, happening in my life. Um, And I'm excited to teach on the core value of of being multi-generational and, you know, being next-generation focused uh, as the youngest pastor at Riv, I think like right now currently, yeah, as the youngest pastor at Riv, no pun intended there, uh, I find this as a fitting value to teach on because there's so much that I can personally learn uh, from our elders, regardless of their age, um, and that I can also learn from you guys, from our congregation, both those who are older uh, and younger than me. And at the same time, uh, for myself personally, uh, I wish to set an example for those who are younger uh, within our church when it comes to their faith, because in this ever-growing world, and especially in our society, uh, it seems as if there's less and less people who are willing to hear the gospel, willing to believe in the gospel, and or even affiliate with any uh, religious background. And our core value today that we're going to be looking at of being multi and next-generational is summed up with this statement. The local church is made up of people from multiple generations. For the gospel proclamation to continue beyond ourselves, we unapologetically invite older generations to lay down their cultural preferences and pour into the next generations. The church is the strongest at the intersection of the wisdom and experience of olders and the passion and innovation of youngers. And again, just as 
one of the, I guess, or the youngest pastor at our church, I'm excited to jump into this because this is a, a, a topic that I think, and a value really, that I hope that our church uh, gets a really strong grasp on uh, because it is so important. If not, if anything, it is imperative that we as a church family look to the next generation to pass this gospel baton off and this, to invite them into this gospel legacy that we are a part of. And you got to see it in that video. Right, and there's so many other things, right? Like, like me wearing the suit. This is an anomaly for a church. <laughs> Walking up here, thinking, "Oh man, this is this is gonna be weird." But here we are, right? So things like that. How how do we how do we figure these things out within our church? How do we make sure we don't lose the main thing in the process of handing off the gospel when it comes to all these other peripheral things? Our time today that we're going to spend in uh, is uh, in the scriptures is from Deuteronomy chapter four verse nine. We're going to go Old Testament here, uh, and I get to use this new Bible. This is so exciting uh, for myself. So if you have your Bibles, feel free to flip, tap, or swipe your way. To Deuteronomy chapter 4, uh, we are in verse 9 to start our time off today, or you can follow along on the screen. This is what it says. Moses says to the Israelites, Only be on your guard and diligently watch yourselves so that you don't forget the things your eyes have seen and so that they do not slip from your mind as long as you live. Teach them to your children and your grandchildren. Let me pray for us and our time and ask the Lord's help in understanding this uh, concept for our church family today. So would you join me in praying? Let's pray. Father, we are grateful um, to be able to sit in, honestly, um, the, the centuries of church history. Um, we got to sit in and be a part of and make up the, the body of Christ that has existed for thousands of years, Lord. What an honor, what a privilege, what an opportunity. I pray, Father, that we would not take it for granted. I pray, Father, that we would not just keep this good news, this gospel to ourselves, but, Lord, that we would have eyes fixated on the next generation and the generation beyond that, Lord, and that, that we would not do this or engage with this to, to pass on Riverview's legacy, but, Lord, to pass on the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I pray, Father, as we dive into your word today, I pray that you would make our minds sharp this morning, make our hearts open this morning. May our ears be open to hear your word, to be challenged on how we can live in a multi-generational church family and to look to the next generation to pass off the gospel to them, Lord. So help us in this way, Father. We pray this, Lord, in your son's name. Amen. So I uh, <clears throat> grew up in a small uh, Southern Baptist Korean church in Metro Detroit in Farmington Hills on the east side of the state. Um, and so, you know, it, my, my church was about, about 40 to 60 people total from the oldest to the youngest. Our youth group that I grew up with was like probably like 10 to 15 people. I uh, still talk with them. We're a really close group of friends. Um, and so to be here at Riverview over the last few years has been a culture shock and a shift uh, nonetheless. 
Uh, and through the Lord's faithfulness, I stand before you guys today uh, as one of your pastors. As Pastor Noel shared uh, just real briefly that he met me when I was in high school. He actually was our speaker for a Korean church camp called MCKC Youth Camp my junior year of high school. He was the first non-Korean speaker at our church. Um, and some students that went to, that led that camp went to Riverview. And so they invited him to speak. And I heard the gospel taught in such a profound way that it challenged me that when I started applying for schools, MSU was on my list. And Riverview was one of the reasons why I wanted to go to MSU. And you see a little bit of that generational dance going on there. I actually, I won't see, okay, I'll be honest. I sat around here my freshman year of college at MSU. This was, you know, one foot in the world. Well, actually, two feet in the world and one foot in the church, you know, that type of mentality. There, I was sitting there one morning, September, hungover, (laughs) knocked out in the middle of worship. And I wake up like this and Pastor Noel staring right at me. (laughs) And here I am preaching the word of God to you guys. So that's the faithfulness of the Lord. From generation to generation, right? So there's that. But, uh, <laughs> so I, I grew up in a, in a city called Farmington Hills, and, you know, by God's grace, I, I, I got to grow up in, in, a, in a Christian home. Uh, my, my parents are Christians. Uh, they immigrated from South Korea uh, in, or at least my, my mom and I, we moved uh, in 1992. And my parents, my dad was here earlier to kind of set the place for us. And they work relentlessly. They work relentlessly in the beauty supply to provide uh, for my family and I. Uh, my younger sister and I actually would be in our home with our grandpa. So my parents would work from morning to, to evening. And the person that was at home was my grandpa. He would take care of us. And I have so many fond memories of when I was in middle school and high school. Uh, my sister and I would come home from school. And there on our dining table would be a plate of either like dumplings, right, that he cooked for us. Some were fully cooked. Others were half frozen still. Uh, some days, uh, you know, he would have uh, a plateful of rice and this like dried seaweed. Uh, we call it kimbap, right? He would have that on the table for us to eat. He was there to take care of us while my parents uh, were working. My grandmother was also very present in my life. She took my sister out for food to take care of us. We, uh, we went to the, you know, we'd go shopping at the mall. I have a very fond memory of us going to Florida together, road trip 20 plus hours from Michigan to Florida to go there and to, to vacation there. You know, later my cousin from Korea would move in with us, uh, and he lived in our home for a few years, and now at that time, and even now, I have like this older brother figure that I never had, because it's just me and my younger sister. The household that I grew up in was more, uh, was more uh, of an extended family than that of a nuclear or an immediate family, and it shaped the way that I view family, the way that I view relationships, the way that I view community and ideals such as sacrifice, showing grace, love, hardship filial piety, all that stuff. And when I see the church and the church, like uh, what I mean by the church, like the big C church or the the little C church, the local church, I'm compelled by the scriptures to view it as that of an extended family and not that of a nuclear family. For some of us, we only grew up with a nuclear or an immediate family. And so uh, this idea of an extended family might be a little difficult, albeit, uh, you know, difficult to, to, uh, to grasp, but that is what the church is. It is a community and an extended family of God that has people from different generations. And sometimes it is a beautiful thing to be a part of, and sometimes it is a difficult thing to be a part of. 
Throughout the scriptures, we not only see instructions on how this multi-generational family is to act and behave with one another, but we see stories and historical accounts of this as well. And one of the examples that we have is the life of the Israelites. And so when we look at the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 4, let me read verse 1 for you. This is what it says. It says, now Israel, this is Moses talking, now Israel, listen to the statutes and ordinances I am teaching you to follow so that you may live, enter, and take possession of the land the Lord, the God of your ancestors, is giving you. Moses, one of the forefathers of the Judeo-Christian faith, is speaking to the Israelites as they're trying to make their way into the promised land. And if you know the story of the Israelites, they had seasons of faithfulness and a lot of seasons of disobedience to God, right? Hence why Moses commands them to listen to the statutes and ordinances of the Lord. In other words, he's saying, hey guys, listen to God's words. A common theme, if you have the time to read the book of Deuteronomy, is that uh, within the book of Deuteronomy is that uh, is located here in this verse, which is obedience to God's word leads to life. And you could argue that this was one of Moses' primary goals before he passed away to petition with the Israelites that no matter what may happen to them, no matter how many nations may attack them, no matter how many times they may find themselves in a rut and wander, no matter how many times faithlessness may tempt them to keep and remember God's words because it is guaranteed that if they follow the word of the Lord, then life would surely be to follow. And we see that's what Moses was keen on communicating because look at what he says in the next two verses, verses two through four. He says, you must not add anything to what I command you or take anything away from it so that you may keep the commands of the Lord your God I am giving you. Your eyes have seen that the Lord, what the Lord did at Baal Peor for the Lord your God destroyed every one of you who followed Baal of Peor. But you who have remained faithful to the Lord your God are alive today. Moses was very deliberate with pointing to the Israelites to obey God's word because of what happened at Baal Peor. So you might, you should be asking, well, what happened there? What happened at Baal Peor? In short, the Israelites, they kind of mingled with uh, the Israelite men. They mingled with the Moabite women and the Moabite women ended up convincing them to worship, to enjoy the foods and the sacrifices and to worship their God the Baal of Peor. And in response to the idolatry, God ordered Moses to tell the judges to go and execute and to kill the people who did this idolatry and this, this worship of the idols. It's a bit rough, but you know, that's what we call the Old Testament God or whatever, right? So Moses calls on the Israelites to remember this. He says, remember what happened, this recent historical account of what your people did. Remember this, but don't just remember it, but to learn from it. Not just to learn from it, but to remember God's words because Moses understood the fact that obedience to God's word deepens our soul allegiance to God. That if you rest in God's words, your allegiance to God will go deeper and deeper. And during Moses' final years on earth, he was dedicated to imparting the belief and the practice to submit one's whole entire life to the authority of God and the word of God, the fear of God, and the presence of God. That was Moses' mission. Which brings us to the verse that we started with in verse 9. All that being said, he says, only be on your guard. And diligently watch yourselves 
so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen and so that they do not slip from your mind as long as you live. Teach them to your children and your grandchildren. The way of life for the ancient Israelites was obviously very different uh, from, from our way of life today. Uh, specifically, uh, the way that their life was different than ours today was that in, 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 in their mode of transferring knowledge, they would do that through telling of stories. I think that's one of the lost arts of our day and age today. Or at least it's shifted. You know, now we have TikTok and, you know, some people dance, but some people tell stories, right? You have all these different ways to tell stories. But I think that's an art that's being lost in our time today. The way that we even talk about, you know, preach from the stage here is through, you know, expository preaching. And maybe we don't tell as much stories, but that's how they communicated and transferred knowledge from generation to generation. It is the telling of stories, which is why Moses says to the Israelites, don't forget the things that you've seen. What happened at Baal Peor, don't forget that. Because you need to tell the generations that come after you what happened just now. So he tells them to remember the eyewitness accounts of seeing both the blessings of God and the wrath of God because they were critical for the Israelites. They were needed to share to their children and their grandchildren so that the next generation did not forget how God dwelt among the people. The telling of stories was not just actually filled with accounts of you know, what God did, but it was what God did in the context of the Israelite culture, the Israelite traditions, the laws, and so much more. You know, for myself, um, I grew up, like I said, in a home where my grandpa lived. Uh, this was something that formed me as an individual way more. That's a picture of my grandpa. Uh, he, he passed away a few years ago. You know, growing up in a home where he, he uh, lived with us, it formed me way more as an individual than, than what I think my parents or anyone really knows. Uh, many times my grandpa and I would actually drive a lot together in the evenings, uh, or sometimes he would want to go to the grocery store, so I would take him to a Kroger, you know, and we would just talk. And he would share so many stories of his life, especially stories uh, of, you know, obviously when he lived in Korea, and, the, uh, and of course when he fought in the Korean War. Those were like captivating for me. You know, I'm this high schooler, you know, this kid, and I'm driving with my grandpa. He's telling me these, you know, a couple of like different war stories. One time he almost got his leg amputated because he got frostbite. I'm like, what the heck? Because if you got your leg amputated, you wouldn't have met my grandma. And then maybe I wouldn't have been bored. And maybe we wouldn't be driving like this. I was like drawn in, right? So he was telling me all these different stories. And these stories were not the only things that were passed on, nor was it just from my grandpa, uh, but it was from my mom, my dad, my grandma, my cousin, my uncle, my aunt. My, you know, they, they would share these things to myself, my sister, my wife, to continue specifically for us our Korean heritage while, you know, because we moved here to America. It's to pass on this heritage that we have. And hopefully, Lord willing, if my wife and I have kids, we plan on passing on these stories to pass on our heritage, our Korean roots, to the third generation. Many immigrant families actually find this type of narrative over their life as well. They pass off language. They pass off legacy. They pass off, pass off belief, traditions and practices, family history, food, literature, clothing. And this may sound like a stretch for some of us here, but as Christ followers, we too, I think, are a bit like immigrants. Or at least the way that the Bible says it is that we are sojourners in this foreign world. Because we know at the end of the day, our home is not here. Our home is in heaven with the Lord. And so we live here on earth, sojourning across 
this world. That's what the Bible says about the Israelites. And therefore, if that is the case, we pass off similar things as Christ followers, such as language, such as doctrines, beliefs, traditions, and practices, family history, this long legacy of believers that we get to be a part of. Food, we pass off, you know, the Lord's Supper. That's technically food, right? You got the juice, you got the bread. That's food, right? Literature, theology, ideology, rooted in the scriptures, we pass that off to the next generation because in fact, in 2022, we are part of the church's history here on earth. Because if you can pluck yourself a little bit out of this timeline, you will realize that we are part of the church's history here on earth. That is why we have things like historical orthodoxy. It's all part of church history. And on the flip side to that, if you are considered a younger in the church, and we'll get to that in a little bit, the next generation, my generation, the ones underneath my generation, we are called to preserve We're called to uphold and grow these things that are passed on to us from the people that walked this faith before us to the best of our abilities while also improving, growing, innovating some of the customs that have been passed on to us. uh, Moses' message to the Israelites were two things, at least in this passage that we just read, is that obedience to God's word leads to life and obedience to God's word deepens one's soul allegiance to God. These messages and truths were communicated not just through the Ten Commandments or through the Jewish law, but they were shared through stories. Do you have stories? Can you share stories to the next generation? Can you share stories of your younger to the older generation to encourage them that, that your generation is in fact, there is hope for your generation to believe in the gospel. And they were not just shared through and from Moses, but Moses' command was for all of Israel to act in this way. And I think the same can be said for our church and how we are to act and behave. All of this is repeated similarly in the New Testament regarding the church. And like I just said, I think the same message rings true for our church today. That we must pass on among one another to and from older and younger generations the obedience to God's word. That it leads to life. That it deepens our allegiance to Christ and Christ alone. We are called to pass on the truth that obedience to Christ does in fact lead to life. One of the messages that have stuck with me and will continue to stick with me for the rest of my life is something that actually Noel gave, uh, Pastor Noel gave a few years ago, which is that in our church, there is, everyone is considered a younger and older, technically, right? Because you have somebody who's older than you and you have someone who's younger than you, unless you're the oldest, in, the, in, the, in our church, like maybe it's Dick, I don't know. Or if you're the youngest, right? If someone had a newborn. And I, that, that to me was such a profound thought. And it's very humbling, really, if you think about it. And we can practically live out sharing and encouraging one another to live out obedience to Christ and his gospel as a multi-generational church and a church focused on the next generation. And I want to give us a few uh, practical ways here. Right? As we follow in this tradition that was set by Moses and the Israelites and then also the church. Here's a, here's a few things, right? If you're an older in the room, as TJ said, it's crazy. Actually, I, did, I actually didn't watch the video until just now. So I just not like planned. But if you're an older in the room, practice hospitality. If you can afford it, actually buy a bigger dining table and invite people. Invite your neighbors. 
Invite, invite your, 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 your family that, that lives down the street from you into your home for dinner, for food. Go buy a bigger dining table and practice hospitality because the thing about this generation, and I think Perry said it in a different way, but the thing about this young generation is this, is that they don't care how much you know unless, until they know how much you care. This generation does not care how much Bible knowledge you have until they know how much you care about them. So invite them into your home. Feed them. Welcome them. Practice hospitality and share the gospel with them as you live out the gospel. Second, share stories of God's faithfulness. Not just the exciting one, guys, but the boring and mundane ones. This generation, our youngers here, they don't know how to be bored, right? But to find God in the midst of the mundane and the ordinary is a beautiful thing. Can you teach them? Can you share stories of God's faithfulness? Not just the exciting ones, but the mundane. And show that God's faithfulness does not waver whether life is exciting or boring. Share the why and not just the what. Younger now, youngers nowadays, they know a lot of the what, right? They have access to, to this little device right here, right? So much knowledge, so much information, but so little discipleship. But they don't just care about the what, they need the why. Because you have all these other voices saying, this is why it's better to walk down this path and not the way of the Lord. Don't just share the what, but we need to share the why. How can God's word lead to life and allegiance to God? And why is it so important that they understand that? The last one for olders here is let youngers lead. Let new ideas breathe. Give youngers a space to fail graciously and succeed with excitement. I read a, a post from Dr. Eric Mason. He's a pastor out in the East Coast. He says this. He says, one of the most challenging times in a younger leader's years is knowing you have a gift or a talent, but trying to find its voice and figure it out. During that time, some people will view, view you as inconsistent and won't be patient with the need of growth. If you saw me like that, that's cool. I got grace for you. All right. Some of the messages in my early years make me cringe. I amen to that. I remember feeling many times like I bombed. Thankful for those who believe in God's grace on me and encourage me. Don't let high growth curves don't let high growth curve seasons discourage you. Pastor Eric Mason is, I think, considered an older. I hope he doesn't watch this message because maybe it's offensive to him. I don't know. But let youngers lead. Let new ideas breathe and give them the space to fail graciously and succeed with excitement. If you are younger in the room, here's a few things. Don't dismiss tradition. Honestly, you're a part of a gospel legacy called church history. The moment we decide to leave the church traditions in behind in the name of innovation or progression, we're apt to lose our roots in the faith and make ourselves prone to repeat history. And most likely, that's not going to be a good thing. The Israelites kept up their traditions over centuries, and so has the church over centuries. Let's not dismiss tradition. Don't forget the olders. One of the biggest mistakes we can make is to forget the older people in our church because we write them off as irrelevant. But if you are younger, go find an older to talk to, to mentor you, to take you under their wing, to open up the book of life and to learn from them. And that's closely linked. Find someone to mentor you. They go hand in hand. Don't forget the olders and find someone to mentor you. That's how we don't forget the olders is by sitting under the tutelage. 
We see that with Moses and Joshua, Jesus and his apostles and disciples, Paul and Timothy. And the last one here, for youngers, learn to commit to a church. We live in a subscription culture. Netflix got rid of the office, canceled. (laughs) That's real. This pastor said this, I don't like it. I'm out. I'm going to find the other church down the street. We need to learn as youngers to commit to a church. Because believe it or not, you are an essential part of the church. It's appealing and perhaps even easier to think that I can live this life. It's just me and Jesus, right? It's just me and Jesus in my apartment room or my dorm room. But you bring value and voice to the church that is needed to reach your generation and the next. Learn to commit to a church. The last thing I want to say here and I want to read is from Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. It's for us here. This is what it says. It says, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. That's Jesus talking. And the gates of Hades will not overpower it. The Israelites passed on their allegiance to the Lord from generation to generation because of the faithfulness of God over them. And now the church, we are called to do the same thing, to pass on our allegiance, to pass on this faith tradition to God, that we have to God, to pass on the gospel of Jesus Christ from generation to generation. If, if, if by God's grace and will, an immigrant family from South Korea can make a living and live here in this country, then, then the Lord sustained it. If by God's grace in his power, the Israelites were able to continue their faith tradition over centuries, and then God also sustains the church, how much more will he do for his bride in our day and age today? But so much as long as we do not forget the gospel message of Jesus Christ, that must be at the core and the foundation of our church and what we pass on. Spiritually, Christ, he sustains the church. Christ upholds his bride. And practically speaking, the people make up the church and we pass off the gospel to the next generation. And we know that when these two go hand in hand, because we have Christ upholding us, because we have the gospel message that Jesus already conquered sin, Satan, and death by dying on the cross, being buried in the grave, and then resurrecting three days later, we know he has already defeated death and sin and Satan we can move forward with so much confidence in him that the gates of Hades will never overpower the church of Christ, the body of Christ. And our part is to live in that truth and to pass off the gospel to the next generation with boldness, with courage, with faith. Because Jesus' promise to us is that the gates of Hades will not overpower it. And so we can move forward with that boldness, guys. So that is my charge to you for our church family. Who can you take under your wing? Who can you pass the gospel off to? Who, if you're younger, can you sit under and learn from? And to not just live in isolation with you and your phone. How can you pass off the gospel to the next generation? And how can you live in this multi-generational community that we call Riverview? There are many different ways. And I hope that that for us, our church can be known as a church that looks to the next generation, that looks to olders, that respects and honors and doesn't just dismiss olders and looks to pass off the gospel to those who are younger than us. Would you join me in praying as I pray and ask the Lord for help in this because this is a tall order for us as a church.
Father, we do ask for your help. I pray, Father, that one of the things we actually do not forget to pass off to the next generation is that it is okay to be needy with you, Lord, to cling to you, to learn to to depend on you. I pray that we would pass that off to the next generation. I pray for the youngest here that we would learn to humble ourselves and to sit underneath the teachings and the life of those who are older than us. I pray, Father, for many, many, many more years for Riverview to be here in the Lansing area because we know, Lord, that that you have entrusted us to pass the gospel, to share the gospel to the different generations that come come after us. And I pray, Father, for this over our church family here. Help us, Lord. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.